Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. And now your host, business expert, Andrew Roberts. Welcome to this podcast. We've got Greg joining us today. How are you going, Greg? I'm good, Andrew. How are you today? I'm really well, thank you. And I'm um, looking forward to this podcast um, where we're going to really focus today, Greg, on this question, how much is enough? And setting up a, a realistic and healthy financial goal. Uh, and I just wanted to start off and make, make the point that financial independence um, is, is a fantastic goal that I do believe it's attainable for, for most people. I'm not going to say everyone because of circumstances and things that happen in our lives, but for most people, I think it's a very achievable, realistic, attainable goal, Greg, uh, where, where you're able to set yourself up and, and not have money worries. You, you've got enough money that comes in that provides all your living expenses and, and, and gives you the lifestyle uh, that you want. So, so we're going to really dive in and, and talk a little bit more about this and why we think it's um, a, a great topic and, and give you some tools, if you like, to uh, make that journey for you to so much uh, smoother uh, as, as, you, as you move forward. But, but let's just start checking with you on this one, Greg. And, and, and from your perspective, and you've obviously been in business for, for a lot of years and you work with a lot of farmers, and why do you think having a, a goal to become financially independent is, is healthy? Yeah, look, thanks, Andrew. And I totally agree with you. I think, I think that, you know, achieving financial independence uh, should be the goal for everyone who owns a business, not just a farming business, but anyone who owns a business, you know, business, running a business, operating a business is a tough gig. And uh, it doesn't matter what business you're in. um, They all have their challenges. And a lot of a lot of those challenges are quite common across all businesses. But, um, and so really, you know, there, there are a number of reasons why people go into owning businesses and one is so they don't have to work for somebody else. That was certainly one of my, one of my reasons, but another is to really over time to be able to create obviously enough income to live, but also to create wealth over time that will allow the, the, the achievement of financial independence. And I think it's just such an important thing to be thinking about. And you know, what do we really mean by financial independence? We're talking about really having a situation where you have enough money coming in from um, other activities that you're involved in um, outside of the business so that you don't, you're not, no longer relying on the business to survive. So, so you know, you, you've, got money, you've got money coming in through investments or, or what have you that actually allow you to live independently um, and basically um, for as long as you need at the, at the level that you want to, the lifestyle that you want to live without having to rely on the business to, to support you. So I think it's, it's a goal that, that we all, that everybody who owns a business should aspire to. Yeah, and you just mentioned before, Greg, um, off off the farm. Um, why why is it important, in your opinion, that that you do concentrate off the farm and and not just relying on on the income that's created on the farm? Yeah, look, it, 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 this is you know farming and other businesses. Um, you know, when, I, when I'm talking about money that's being generated, I'm talking about money being generated outside of the business. So in the farming business, it's off the farm because. You know, one of the things we all know about farming businesses is that they go, it goes through cycles of profitability. You know, we have, we have seasonal variation and we have price market variation that changes the fortunes of the business and, and you know, gives us years with, with, with higher profit and, and years with low profit. And, you know, it's, it's a typical scenario. There's not too many farmers around that I know that I've worked with over 40-odd years now that, um, that have had sustained um, profit every year. You know, good, good farmers... Um, manage to make a profit in the majority of years, um, but they'll still have years that are that are break-even years or small loss years. It's just a, it's a fact of life in farming, unfortunately. So you know when the good times come around and the good prices are there, and and particularly if they're coupled with good seasons, then as a, you know you should have your business set up in a way that's absolutely um, creaming the profit. And if it's not, then you've got some fundamental problems because um, what I do know is that when uh, the prices change and or seasons change. Um, that the you know it becomes much more difficult to, to to get the sort of profitability that you desire out of your farm. So so by by taking some of those by, by firstly having a having a profitable farm a farm that has a good profit return over you know uh, over a ten or fifteen year time frame, and then being able to take some of that profit and and put it into off farm investments that actually generate wealth and and, and income if required, um, then that just helps to mitigate. 
um, the risk and the and the variability, if you like, of of, um, of income that comes from a farming business. Yeah, and. Uh there's, there's a few things we want to cover off on this podcast and, and I want to firstly address how much, how much do you actually need uh, to set as a goal to create in, if you like, investments off your farm and we'll talk a little bit about why that is quite dependent on where you're at in life um, and, and secondly, I wanted to also talk about why the return of those uh, assets matter. And thirdly, just a whole lot of things for you to consider that's going to help you make this journey smoother um, as you move towards financial independence. Now, Greg, I was at a course uh, many years ago and I uh, have all, I've always been a passionate business owner and I've always wanted to um, run a fantastic company and, and also achieve wealth beyond my wildest dreams. That was always a drive of mine when I, when I was a, a kid. It's, it's actually less relevant, way less relevant today than, than what it once was. Um, but I learned a couple of very big fundamental lessons at, at this particular course. And, and the first one that I learned was people that buy stuff end up with stuff all. That was, that was a big one for me. People that actually use the money from their farm or from their business to buy stuff will end up with stuff all. And, and the big lesson that very aligned with what you just spoke about, Greg, was the, the objective is to maximise the profitability of the business and then use that profitability to invest outside the business, to maximise your, your assets, if you like, and then use the money from those to buy your stuff. That was a big turning point for me and it just made so much sense for me that I, when, I, when I got that lesson that don't, uh, be really careful with the, the hard-earned money you make from the business. Um, certainly enjoy the lifestyle and don't sacrifice by not having things like holidays, etc. But, but be very careful going out and buying expensive things, stuff. Um, that, that was a, a big lesson for me. And, and the second big lesson for me was I actually needed significantly less, Greg, than what I originally thought. And I actually had a, had a big, big turning point here because I, I originally thought that I needed 50-odd million dollars. That, that was my original thinking um, process, that, you know, how much I needed uh, in assets outside the farm. And I'll, I remember when the guys uh, questioned us and said, you know, why do you need that much? And he actually got us to look, Greg, at, at you know, how much do you really need to, to live a great life? And, and we, we actually wrote out, if you like, um, our dream life. And we listed everything down there from food, um, travel, I mean, all the different things you can think about. We put it into this Excel spreadsheet to work out our dream life, including a healthy amount for fun, entertainment, all the stuff. And actually, my, my figure came out to be around about $150,000 a year. And that was, that was more than enough. And this particular guy said, uh, Greg, that, well, if you, if you work backwards, most people would thrive of anywhere from, I mean, he said an amazing life, anywhere from 2 to $3 million invested off the farm or outside of your business in this case. Back back then I was running a business. And and I'm all of a sudden I went, wow, I don't need this 50 to $100 million. It's actually significantly less, the figure, Greg, than, than what we all, we all think. Um, do you agree from your learning that uh, people often – can often get caught up in shooting for, for way more than what they even need. Yeah, I think that's probably it, – it, it may well be true for a lot of people. And, and, um, and obviously, you know, how much do you actually need, as you mentioned right at the top, Andrew, has a lot to do with where you are in life. If you're just yeah. starting out as a couple in life and you've got a young family and, you know, in the country, maybe let's, let's think about uh, – you might be thinking about sending them off to school and to boarding school or something like that. You know, that requires a lot of money and, and it does require – a plan and and um, you know and, and one of the things I think that lacks uh, that a lot of people lack is a is a real um, understanding of what uh, of what the capital allocation plan looks like for their life you know how much money do I need to put aside each year for um, the principal repayment of debts and for servicing interest how much do I need to put aside for my children's ed- education how much do I need to put aside for retirement so that I can use compounding over time to generate uh, a nest egg that, that I can retire on. Uh, on if, uh, this is assuming that I'm not going to sell the farm, assuming that the farm is going to be passed on or, or you know, um, somehow transferred to the next generation and I'm not going to get 
the uh, the inherent um, wealth that's tied up in that farm out for my retirement. Um, how much do I need, for example, to um, to take care of um, the generational transfer of the assets to to members of the family who may not be wanting to come back on the farm? So I can do a I can I can make sure that the succession plan I put in place is, is equal and equitable for all the members of the family and, and not just not just favouring one or, or, or two members of the family to the detriment of others. So you know, there's, there's a number of areas where where capital is required over time as part of a life plan and, and I think the sooner that everybody sits down and actually starts thinking about their, their capital alloc- allocation plan for life, where they need to put money and how much money they need to put into those various areas and what the time frame is around um, when each of those pools of money are required, the better off that they, it is that they can start to understand what the business needs to generate for them and, uh, and you know, starts to really focus in on, on how much profit do we actually need to create in this business to create the life uh, goals that we are, we're setting for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a great point. And, and I know, uh, Greg, that many, many members, even in Farm Owners Academy, are, are using your, your calculator, if you like, to create a capital allocation plan. And, and I can, the benefits of that are, are enormous. And just uh, for someone listening to this, though, without, without a calculator, I mean, how might they go about doing something like this? And how long should they be thinking? I mean, let's again take a perfect example you just set there. It could be a 30-year-old couple with um, two younger kids that, yeah, they, they want to send them off to boarding school. And how would they go about something like this to get, get clear on how much they need and, and how much will be left over in 20 yes. years? Okay. Well, so really in the end, um, it's, just, it's just a question of sitting down and, and looking at all of the potential areas in your life that you that are going to require money um and then um so for example um what i would do is i'd, I'd list out um I'd, I'd have um um living expenses i'd have children's education i'd have the interest on debt um i'd have the amount of um principal repayment that i need to be paying back to to really pay back any debts on the business um or personal debts at a, a you know in, in, in an acceptable time frame and preferably that's say 10 years um, I, I'd list out. Um, I'd have a, a column for cap, a, a row for capital expenditure uh, for the business. Um, I'd have a, a row for reserves, so some reserves that you want to put in place for the business. Um, succession, as I mentioned before, retirement, and then another column. So you've got you got all those rows in a spreadsheet: um, living expenses, children, children's education, debt, interest repayment, um, fixed debt um, amount or principal repayment per year, capital expenditure, um, reserves, succession, retirement, and other. And then um, along in the columns at the top, so they're rows in, the, in a spreadsheet, across the top I would have the funds required, so that's the actual amount that's required um, uh, in total, um, the, the year in which it's needed. So for, let's say, for example, you've got young children that are three, four, five, something like that, then you might need the, the, um, the money for, their, for them to go away to boarding school in 10 years' time, so they would, they'd be needed in 10 years' time. Um, and then um, ideally you want to put a priority around them. So... Um, because you may not have a situation where you're earning enough money from the business to to give you all of the um, outcomes that you you want in your capital allocation plan, so so it's worth having a priority so that you actually um, focus on making sure that the things that are the most important um, get get serviced first. And if something has to fall off the bottom, then it's the lowest priority items. But ideally, um, and then it's just a question of once you've got that spreadsheet worked out, looking at the um, at the sort of um, uh, investment return rate that you might get uh, from off-farm investments or in taking capital uh, that you actually generate in the business, free cash flow, and investing it. What's the sort of rate of return you might get from that? And then and then working out, you know, where, how much a year do you need to allocate to each of those areas and use compounding to your advantage to actually generate those pools of money um, for when you need them. So, for example, if you're in your late 20s, you know, you might need your um, your retirement money for, let's say, 40 years. So, you know, you've got plenty of time. You've got a long time to actually use compounding to really help you um, generate a really, really tidy nest egg. And I know you're going to talk about this in a little minute, um, Andrew, the value of compounding. But compounding is such a great tool. And if you understand it and use it to your advantage, it's amazing um, how compounding compounding investments can create quite large sums of money for you with very low levels of input. So so that's the way I would go about it. And and once that's um, that, that, um, that those items are all listed out. You can then look at what your after-tax cash flow needs to be 
uh, per year to actually satisfy those requirements and then look, look at the business and, you know, is the business supplying those to you? And if it's not, you know, can the business be altered or changed or, you know, made more efficient, uh, more profitable so that it, it will supply what you're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally find um, doing something like this, Greg, it, it all of a sudden enables you to have some goals. As you pointed out, you, and you might not have, I mean, you might have 10 years before the kids go to a private school, for example, um, then you can you can plan to uh, either put money aside for that or, or gear up, if you like, or scale a company up to, to, to afford those fees when they kick in. There's multiple things that you can learn from putting this capital allocation plan in place. And I would imagine a, a big benefit of doing this is just, giving you more, more control, Greg, correct, on more control, less stress, and just more, more um, a much higher chance of actually hitting the targets? Would, would that be a fair call from your, your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's absolutely right. I mean, if you, if you give thought to it and, and you, you, know, you give focus to it and you, you're very clear about what it is that you uh, need and, and, and when you're going to need it, then you have much more chance of, of putting in place the processes and strategies that are required to actually achieve those goals. It's, 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 it's like everything in life. You know, if you have a plan, and potentially, particularly if it's a written down plan, um, much more chance of of, uh, of actually um, getting the outcomes you're looking for. Oh, that's great! And I think um, I mentioned earlier that, that when I went to the event, and the guy was saying, you know, two to three million dollars invested off the farm or outside the business is, is just a great goal to go for for, for when you retire. Um, and in in my case, I mean, I want to hold back from retirement as long as possible because I, I just really enjoy work. And, and I think when you can see that on paper, uh, Greg, in my, well, in my particular case, it just, it's just enabled me to enjoy the journey so much more. Um, uh, two things, you're absolutely right. Knowing that time can be on – I would say that the sooner you start on this, the better because in my case, I could just say I've got the time to, to work on this. It would be a totally different story, I would imagine, if – I wanted to retire at 70, Greg, and I'm, I'm working on this at 65, right? It's going to be a lot more challenging um, than if I was to do it at 30 versus um, that particular age. So, so knowing time's on your, on your hand, but I also wanted to point out that uh, the return on that investment outside your business matters. So you might have $2 million invested, and, and I mean, it's pretty obvious, but if you're getting a 5% return, um, you're making $100,000 a year. If you're getting a 10% return, it's $200,000 a year. If you're getting a 15% return, it's $300,000 a year return as well. So, so obviously the return that you get on those assets outside your, your business matter as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about this shortly because it matters in the compounding and it also matters at the end um, when you're deciding to live off that money. Um, and, and so this particular guy that ran this course was saying, you know, most people, most couples, once they've got their everything sorted and kids through school and all these other things taken care of, you know, $100,000 a year in today's dollars, Greg, I mean, you have to consider inflation, et cetera, as well, um, is often more than enough for a, for a pretty incredible life. Um, and I just got a huge peace of mind when I, when I learned that because I, I had in my head that I needed a significantly larger figure than that. Um, right, so I just wanted to, to dive into a few things to consider that, that will help you make this journey smoother. And the first thing is, um, and, and we really advocate this, is, is ensuring that you pay yourself a salary and ensuring that this money, uh, being the owner of your farm, the owner of your business, and making sure that this money comes out before uh, your profit, okay? So it actually sits in your P&L as an expense line item, which will be owner's wage. And Greg, I just wanted you to talk about what, what that wage amount um, is a healthy amount to pay yourself and why you believe it needs to sit in the in the amount uh, before, on a P&L statement before net profit. Yeah, Andrew, this is such an important uh, factor of, of farming businesses, unfortunately, and not only farming businesses, a lot of um, small own, uh, owner businesses. Um, what I see very, very commonly is that the, the business generates income. The income is used to pay the debts, uh, the, the running costs of the business, of the business um, and the owner kind of gets what falls off the end. 
you know, and, and that they, they just take what, what falls off the end. So if, if, if things are tight, um, you know, their, their wage goes down, their remuneration goes down, and it's, um, it really isn't the appropriate way to be looking at a, at a, at a farming business or, or any other business. Um, a, a, properly, a proper sustainable business should be able to properly pay or fully pay for all labour that contributes to the running of that business at a rate that is acceptable um, and comparable with the Australian um, wage rates. And so, you know, if you look at, let's look at a couple of st- statistics around what, it, what is an acceptable income or wage that should be paid for a full-time person that's, that's involved in a farming business. Um, if you look at the, the average Australian wage at the moment, it's about $80,000 a year. So $80,000, that's the average Australian wage. So if you were working in any other job outside of farming and, you know, you were, you were receiving the average Australian wage, you'd be on about eighty grand a year. Um, but just recently, a, few, a couple of years ago, there was quite a large survey of rural employee employment conducted by a consultancy group in New South Wales. And um, they, they looked at the, the, the true cost of labour in farming businesses. And what they determined is that, you know, what was actually being paid out there in the real world for, uh, for managers, for, for people who managed, fully managed farm businesses and then for um, their workforce was $115,000 a year for the managers and about $70,000 a year for a full-time employee. So these are good, you know, these are good quality managers and quality full-time employees. And, and so, you know, that's, that's what the, was actually being paid in, in the real world. And, you know, I don't see any other reason, any reason to why it is that, that anybody who is the owner of a farming business and spends their time uh, running the business shouldn't um, be allocating themselves the same amount of money, $115,000 as the principal owner. And for any members of the family who are working in the business um, to help support that, inf- that, that, that business run, that they should be on um, at least $70,000 full-time equivalent uh, pay. So that's really the numbers that we're working to. And, and yes, it's, it's absolutely vital. When you're looking at, the, at any business, that labour is properly accounted for and properly paid before you calculate the profit. Because in the end, the proper way to look at any business or analyse any business, and particularly a farming business, is to think about it this way. If you own the farm as a land investor, and just please remember that you know, when you own a farm and you run a farming business, you actually have two different, you wear two different hats. You're, a, you're an investor of, in farming land, an investor into rural land, and, and you know, normally you would expect a return on that investment, and that comes through capital gain. So and, you know, capital gain for rural land over 30 years has averaged around about 6% a year. So, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a capital gain to be had from owning the land, and then you, you choose to run a business on that land and, um, and from which you make an operating return. Now, you know, if, you were, um, if you chose to own that land and lease it out to somebody else, you would make the capital gain on the land. You would you would get the income from the lease, okay, and you would have no other costs apart from some rates and taxes and a few bits and pieces like that. But basically, most of the lease payment would end up in your pocket. So um, when we're analysing a farming business, we need to analyse the business itself as if it was a standalone business, as if you know, irrespective of whether we work in you you know you work in the business or not, um, you need to look at how much labour would this business need to employ to properly manage the business to the level that it's currently being run. And then once you understand what, how much labour is required, how, what's that worth? Based on this, $115,000 a year for the principal, the manager, and $70,000 for the family full-time equivalents. And then because once you start looking at the business in that way, you get a true handle, a true understanding of what the actual costs of labour are to a, bit, to a farming business. And can I tell you that in, in, for, for farming businesses and for most businesses, Labor is the biggest cost, so it properly it needs to be properly accounted for. Yeah, such a great overview. And the thing I like so much about this is, once you know that that hundred and fifteen thousand is coming out, Greg, it just does something to you where you you step up. Correct. I mean, you you, you realize well, the, the business has to sustain that that salary, um, and it, it gets it's a motivating um, line item if you ask me, because the the owner hopefully can see that as a cost of running the business and and get out there and, and make enough to, to obviously cover that wage. And, and also, uh, we'll, we'll dive straight into this one now, Greg. Let's just talk about what you think the net profit figure really needs to be or a, a great KPI or amount for a business owner to aim for in, in a farming, farming company. And by the way, this is outside of farming companies too, but we'll stick, we'll stick with farming company for now. 
So this is uh, this is the next step, really. So basically, you know, we talked about labour and, and how labour is a is a significant cost in any business, particularly in a farming business, mm. and and it lives in the overheads. Basically, it lives in the overhead part of the equation. So it's part of the cost of of owning and running a farming business is that you know it needs labour. Um, there's no farming businesses that I know that that will run without any labour at all. So so labour is always a factor, and it's an overhead cost. Um, you know, irrespective of whether you're running cattle or sheep or um, you know, cropping or whatever, um, labour is, is a requirement. So so it, it lives in the overhead part of the equation. Um, so once you've actually, once you look at the, the analysis or if you like the financial overview of a farming business, you have the revenue that comes in, you have the, the expenses, direct expenses, so the expenses that are part of the day-to-day running of an enterprise. So for example, in a grazing enterprise, it might be drenches or vaccines or shearing if it's a sheep enterprise or preg testing. Those sorts of things are direct costs there. They're directly proportional to the size of the enterprise that you're running and then you have the overhead costs which are the fixed costs which basically the business are going to incur irrespective of what enterprises you run so they're things like um, rates and taxes they're things like electricity um, and and labor is, is obviously a big one of those so once you when you're looking at the overall farm analysis or farm business as a whole you know you have the revenue that comes in you take away the direct costs and the overhead costs and what you're left with is the is the profit is the net profit it's the amount of money out of revenue that you've retained after um, after the direct and, and uh, overhead costs have been have been uh, paid, mm-hmm. and ideally um, you should all be looking at a net uh, a net profit target of a minimum of thirty percent of revenue. Okay, so at least thirty percent of what you generate in revenue should be retained as net profit because we know from years and years and years of farm benchmarking that for the majority of farm businesses, a thirty percent net profit or better will give you a an adequate return on, on assets um, that are invested in the business or managing the business, um, which really just, just means that the business itself is making enough profit to fund all of the things it needs to fund from that profit. So don't forget out of profit. There's a number of things that have got to be paid. You've got to pay interest on any loans. You've got to pay principal on any loans. You've got to pay leases for any land um, that might be leased within the business. You've got to pay tax and you've got to pay um, the owners um, a, a further um, um, amount of money if you need more than what the allocation of drawings is. So let's say, for yeah. example, you're paying yourself $115,000 a year as a principal owner of a farming business, but you've got four kids away in town at boarding school. I can tell you right now that you, hmm. you're not going to live on $115,000 a year. I mean, I've, hmm. I've been there, I've done that, you know, three kids away at boarding school. Um, I can tell you now, you, you won't live on that. So, so any owner drawings above that salary needs to be, uh, needs to be account, come out of that net profit. Um, so, and, and capital reinvestment in the business has also got to come out of that net profit. So there's a lot of things still to come out of net profit in a business. And that's why it needs to be, um, at least 30%. I mean, it's just such great benchmarks that people can start um, thinking about. And, and, uh, you know, again, just to be really clear that that's, if you've got an income of a million dollars, um, in all the sales, everything you sell off the farm equates to a million dollars, obviously that you've got to take out that owner's salary and everything else, all the cost of goods um, that you use to create that revenue and all the electricity, everything, then then you really still need to show a, a, a 30%, which is a $300,000 um, or more net profit figure to really have a sustainable company, really, uh, Greg, because obviously a lot of people um, may find that they're, they're nowhere near this, correct? And, and, and in many cases, they might not be in a, they might just not have a farm or a business that enables them to make those sort of numbers. Um, and just to sort of, just to address that for a moment, Greg, if you were to look at a farm and realise, you know what, it's, it's impossible for this farm to actually make those types of numbers, number one, to pay a salary of that level, number two, to ever, ever get a return at that level. I mean, what, what, what advice might you offer um, someone that, that could potentially be stuck in that position? Yeah, I think it's one of the the first piece of advice I'd offer Andrew is that it's just so important that you understand what the what the profitability of your business is, and that that can come through through farm financial benchmarking and and and, and other forms of of analysis. But you know, but but creating creating a a good P and L, creating a good uh, balance sheet, really helps you to understand the current position of your business and really what the what the true profitability of that business is. Mm. Um, and, and that's the first step is, is is firstly understanding where the current you know how 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 good the current business is in terms of its ability to generate profit. It's almost uh, stage number one. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is 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 this business sustainable? Is this business 
something that's even worth um, putting the effort into improve, correct? Yes, because to be honest with you, if, if a business... If a farming business cannot pay for all of its costs, plus which includes the labour that's used in it, and have enough money for capital reinvestment, then it's not a sustainable business in no. the future. It's relying on the capital gain that's coming from the land to sustain it. And, and unfortunately, that's the case with a lot of farming businesses in Australia, that they rely on the capital gain that comes from the land investment over time to generate long-term wealth for the owners, not the operational returns that come from the business. And it's a very sad situation. So, yeah. so the step number one is understand, you know, how is this business capable in its current format, capable of producing the sort of profit levels that we need to, to, to reach the benchmarks to achieve what we're trying to do? If the answer to that is no, then that prompts straight away uh, the requirement for a deeper analysis of the business to see whether, in fact, it can be changed because there's an awful lot of farms in Australia that are underutilising their resources yeah. and that can be doing a hell of a lot better than what they are doing right now. They just don't firstly understand the true position of the business to, eat, to even start asking the questions about, well, what is it that I should be doing or could be doing to, to get this business to the point where it's actually going to generate the sort of profit levels that we require. Yeah. It's really, really positive stuff. And, it, and it's, I mean, I was just thinking while you were talking there's no difference for me going and buying a little cafe in the local street here, and um, you know, I might I might buy it for half a million dollars, but but if it can't give me a, a good enough return, Greg, because there's not enough foot traffic, uh, if it can't give me a healthy enough amount of money for me to pay myself a salary and show a return on that half a million dollars that I just put in, then then I've got a problem. Um, and and step number one I, I need to look at is well, is there anything I can do to change this business around to give me that return? And and if, if the answer to that comes back, well, you know, I've done everything I can, then then really I've bought a dud. I've bought a dud investment that I need to work out an angle or a way to resolve, correct? Yep, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, you only get one go at this life and um, and it's it's always a shame when I see people that spend 10, 15, 20 years, you know, flogging a horse that's never going to get up. It's just it's a, it's a it's unfortunately the case, um, but the good, the good, um, the good uh, part of this story is that for the majority of farm businesses that I've worked with over forty years, there's generally something that can be done. Um, there's generally um, areas that can be identified. There are opportunities that can be grasped, things that can be leveraged to actually take turn a business around that's actually not um, sustaining, uh, generating the sort of profit that needs to be uh, generated, and to turn that that around and and really turn it into a business that that actually will deliver. What's required? It requires um, it requires firstly identification of the issues, and then secondly a willingness on behalf of the owners to actually embrace the, the changes that need to happen to to make the business uh, turn the business into what it needs to be. Yeah, it can be it can be exciting understanding it because then you've got something to work on improving. And I, I think this is linked with this next point, Greg, that really um, it needs to be a decision from the owner of the business to to ask the question: What what do I need to do to maximise my profitability? Um, how do I ensure that this business can comfortably not just pay my wage but pay um, other technicians' wages, wages and also still provide that 30-plus percent return? Um, and, and then uh, what do I need to tweak? What do I need to work on to, to obviously uh, increase revenue um, and, and minimise costs, correct? Yeah, just to be clear on that, so it's a 30% net profit. The, um, the generally, a 30% net profit for the majority of farm businesses will generate somewhere between 4 and 6 or 7% return on assets managed. So, so it's, a, you know, it's a healthy return for a farming business. Farming businesses by nature are not high profit businesses. If you go to a lot of businesses outside of farming, they'll be looking for a 15 to 25% return on assets managed as part of their um, process. But because there's so much, so much of the capital in farming is tied up in land um, and the capital gain that comes from that investment is, you know, as I said, is around about the 6 to 7% a, uh, uh, over 30 years, a year over 30 years, um, then, then, you know, it's harder to make the really high levels of uh, return on assets managed like you do in, in businesses outside of farming. So, but, but because of that situation, because it's a, uh, the, the nature of farming is that it's a relatively low um, uh, investment return, um, then you know everybody should be making taking every opportunity to to really um, optimize um, what they, uh, everything they can on their farm to make sure that they're they're doing the best job they possibly can in terms of generation of profit. Yeah, just take a step back for a second, Greg, because you just mentioned um, many farmers 
would get a six. That's a six or seven percent, a thirty percent net profit margins, six to seven percent return on assets managed. Can you just define what you mean by return on assets managed? Just just in case someone isn't clear on that. Yeah. So 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 return on assets managed is, is really taking the net profit figure that you generate from your farm and, and dividing it by the total uh, value of, of assets that are used to generate that that net profit. So so in the in the case of farming, it's the value of the land. It's both owned and leased land and share farmland that you've used to generate that return. It's the value of the plant and equipment, and it's the value of the livestock that you've that you've used. So you add add all those values up, and market value is the best way to go. Market value for the for the livestock, market value for the for the land, market value for the, uh, the plant and equipment. Um, that's that's the that's the, the the assets that are being employed by the business to generate the revenue uh, that then leads to the profit. And so you take the, the net profit figure. That's generated by the business. You divide it by the total assets being under management, and that gives you the return on assets managed. And return on assets managed is a, is a really nice number to use because it can be used to compare farming um, as an investment to other farms. Um, because it's it, because the return the return on assets managed figure is independent of the financing structure of the business. So if the business is, you know, if you have a business that's one hundred percent owned versus a business that's fifty percent owned, um, it, it, because the return on assets managed figure does not include interest, um, then, you know, the, the, the current uh, financial structure of the business is not taken into account. That comes, the interest comes out of the net profit after the, the calculation of return on assets managed. So it's a way of being able to compare the performance of farming businesses. But also when you add the operating return, so the, the return on, on, on assets managed in a farming business and you add the capital gain. So let's say a farm is, has generated a 4% operating return on assets managed and and a, a 6% return on, uh, uh, sorry, capital gain on the land that, that, it employ, that it owns, then potentially on that owned land, the, um, the owner of that business has, has achieved a 10% overall return for that year, 6% from the capital growth, 4% from the, um, from the operating return. So that you can compare that to, for example, a share investment, share market investment, or a residential property investment where you get a similar sort of thing. In the share market investment, you get capital growth on your shares and you get a dividend. So the dividend is, is akin to the operating return and, and the capital growth is, is obviously the, the akin to the capital gain on the land. And similarly with residential property, you get, um, you get capital gain on the, on the property and you get um, um, rental income that comes in. So, so those three investments in particular can be compared in terms of the overall wealth generating capability if you like of the three different three different areas of investment when you're looking at sort of you know what, what's comparable um, uh, wealth generating uh, potential for money that I've got invested either into um, land or into residential property or, or shares and Greg do you have a um, benchmark or is there a, a healthy level on return on assets managed that you think um, people could, could shoot for or plan for Yes, yeah, so I think the look, the ideal scenario, and it depends a little bit on the value of your land, um, but but normally we would work on a target of between four and six percent average return on assets managed over the long term, over the ten or fifteen year horizon. Yeah. Now, if you're dealing, if you if you own land that's that's very very um, expensive, so if you if you own land in a you know you know in a really safe, uh, highly sought after, tightly held area, you might be paying, you know, fifteen thousand dollars a hectare. For land, it's obvious that you know it's unlikely you're going to be able to return a um, six or seven or eight percent return on assets for that type of land. So, so that is a it is a constraint to farming. So, you know, a three or four percent return on assets is a very very good result in that sort of in that sort of country. But if you're in the more normal type of pricing scenario where you might be paying somewhere between let's say four and six thousand dollars a hectare for land, or well, that's what the market value is, then really that you know that four to six percent. Long term, over a ten or fifteen year period, is the is the sort of benchmark target I would be I would be encouraging people to aim at, um, because that level of profit, I know that level of profit, um, affords um, it represents a really viable, healthy um, uh, farming business that provides so many options then for the for the owner, um, both in terms of the capital to be able to reinvest in the business to keep it moving forward or the capital to be able to do some things off-farm if they, if they choose to, either expand the farming area if they want to do that or invest off-farm to create wealth off-farm. So it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a, generally it's a great benchmark to be looking at. And unfortunately, um, for, the, um, for the average Australian farm, according to ABA data, 
um, we're looking at over that over a 15 to 20 year time frame, the last 15 to 20 years, we're looking at about a 1.4% return on assets managed. So really v- very poor compared to what the benchmark um, should be. Yeah, it's excellent. And um, last but not least, Greg, the other tool to support you in your on your journey to creating financial freedom um, boils down to, to learning investing, master investing, really particularly master investing and uh, understanding investments off the farm. Um, and, of course, you can scale up farming and buy more farming and et cetera, and that, that's definitely a skill in itself. But there's a stage when you know, we're, we're such big advocates of building that wealth in conjunction with scaling up off the farm exact for all the reasons that Greg put on the table before um, to mitigate risk and to enable you to have that retirement and that income coming in no matter what. I mean, really in the end, Greg, I, I do believe, uh, I mean, and this is not just farming, by the way, this is all businesses, your safest return still comes from, from shares and, and re- residential property. Um, maybe commercial property as well, but property and shares, and um, it's consistent, it's safe, it's it's less risk, um, and and learning the skills of, of knowing how to build that wealth off the farm. And I just wanted to give a quick scenario here, Greg, just to understand compounding a little bit. And I just want to hypothetically assume you start with fifteen thousand dollars in year one, and you you invest over twenty years, and you you drop into that investment. Every year, $15,000. So let's say January rolls around and you put another $15,000 into that investment and um, we've got A, B and C. A returns 5%, B returns 10%, C returns 15%. I'll talk about 15% shortly. Um, I just want to understand the difference here. Um, I hope I've got my numbers here correct, Greg, but I did double-check them, so I think I do. Um, In 20 years' time, investment vehicle A at 5%, if you put... 15K in every year is worth $537,000. Vehicle B, which returns 10%, is worth $960,000. And vehicle C at 15% is worth $1.7 million. And it's interesting, vehicle C compared to vehicle A um, is is an extra $1.2 million for, for literally doing nothing. Um, why? All because uh, you, you've learned the skill of, of, of uh, achieving a higher return. And, I mean, just for, we'll just drop in the name here, T- Terry Tran, um, Greg, because I think uh, it's quite extraordinary. And I, I think many people would be quite sceptical when they first hear of Terry's returns. But, uh, I mean, you're familiar. What, what's, what's Terry's average returns been? Do you remember, Greg, over the last um, 15 years? Yeah, so I just want, and before I go on, I just want to say that look, neither you or I, Andrew, are investment um, um, experts. experts. So you know, please, um, if you you know, whenever you're going to seek, uh, whenever you, you you've got a question or um, you're going to put together any sort of investment portfolio or whatever, please seek professional advice that can help yeah. you uh, do the job properly. But but look, Terry's um, Terry's a guy who's who's come up with a system of investing in the share market, uh, particularly the American the US share market, which which is incredibly low risk and and very high value, and I think. I think from memory, he's he's um, he's returned a bit over 20 percent over the last fifteen years, and that includes 22, the years of twenty two percent on average, twenty two percent, and that includes the years of the GFC, and you know, which is pretty incredible, really, when you think about it. And and um, I mean, his mantra is all about you know, is about not taking risks, so it's not putting yourself in a situation where you're risking your capital, um, but really understanding where the value is in is in investing. And, and and having a process in place that allows you to capture that value. And it really is an outstanding result. And, um, you know, he's, he's very transparent and um, about the way he goes about it. He'll show you the portfolio that, he's, that we're talking about that's actually generated that return. So really um, very, very um, – but, but, you know, I guess, you know, we just bring him up as an illustration of what is possible mm-hmm. once you understand the theory um, of, of what can be done uh, using, using uh, you know, the tools and that are available to you and the markets that are available to you. So it really is quite outstanding. And, you know, I, I, I do want to reiterate um, the value of compounding. I mean, Albert Einstein called compounding the eighth wonder of the world. Mm. Um, it really, once you understand compounding and what it can do for you, what you, you realise is that the sooner you start, uh, the, you know, um, the longer you've got money sitting there in a compounding investment, the more wealth you create. It really is quite an amazing 
um, process when you really um, take advantage of it. And and it always sort of, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned right off the top, Andrew, that, you know, if you if you spend your money on stuff, you end up with stuff all. And, you know, it's I've had a uh, certainly a philosophy all of my life that, I hate spending money on depreciating assets. You know, if I if I have to buy a depreciating asset, then I will generally buy it out of the proceeds of um, something else, out of out of investment or, or some other way. I won't spend money um, on depreciating assets, even if I've that money ends up going into tax. I spend I spend some tax on it um, on on that money. I know I can take the the balance after tax and I can invest it more uh, wisely somewhere else and uh, and make more money out of it. So really, in the end. Um, I think it's really, really important that, um, you know, um, you get out of the mindset, people get out of the mindset of thinking, okay, well, you know, um, it's tax time coming up. Uh, maybe I'd be better off spending a heap of money on things I don't really need or things that are perhaps more expensive than what I need to be buying to achieve the job I'm trying to achieve just so that I can save a bit of money on tax. I'm so pleased you made this this comment. And, and again, I see this in businesses outside of farming all the time, Greg. So, Someone, let's say you might make $500,000 net profit one year. Prices are good. You've had a great year. And um, exactly right, the, the accountant comes along and says, oh, by the way, you're up for 30% tax, which is right. If, if you were to make $500,000 um, profit, you'd pay 30% of that towards uh, business tax. And so... In a company. In a company. In a, in a company. Um, uh, this is outside of farming for now. but but And, and so what typically happens is the person then uh, wants to go and minimise that, that profit and they go and buy stuff. But in my, in my opinion, I mean, you've got to do everything you can to minimise the tax, but you're actually significantly smarter paying the tax and ending up with the money, Greg, and then finding a way to invest that money. And, and you know, it, often you only need three or four great years in that 20 years, Greg. Like you might have a, a thump of you and, and actually rather than, thinking, great, we've made all this money, Let, let's go and blow it. Um, if you were to actually put that into your investment portfolio, I call it my freedom fund, actually, um, and, and, and allow the, the effects of compounding to, to kick into gear, I mean, you, you're just going to end up with so much more at the back end of it all and, and you'll, you, you just won't have those regrets later on in life. Um, and and you, you might have that short-term sacrifice, missing out on a, on a new Hilux, um, but but you, you just won't regret it later on, and and that really is a it's a discipline, um, and it's an understanding of uh, you're better off putting that money and, and letting that money work for you. The, the old saying, Greg, you know, work really hard for your money, but then get that money that you've worked so hard for, get it working for you. And it's impossible, really, to create significant wealth if you don't at some stage learn 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 about investing. In, in my opinion, and again, you're right, I'm not an investment. Um, specialists, but those that that do learn about investing, they 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 pay as much attention, knowing where they put their money as they do making it, um, end up um, getting that money working for them, and, and end up achieving that financial freedom. Yeah, there's there's no doubt, Andrew. That and one of the things that I think is the decisions to always be making is when you have a good year or you've got free cash flow, you know, you're, you're always looking at okay, where's the best way? To, where's the best place to put this capital? You know, there's always in any business, there's more opportunities to spend money than money than money that, to spend. Um, you're always looking looking to look at uh, all of the potential uh, allocations of capital and work out what's going to give you the best return. Um, because in the end, that's that's the, the appropriate way to build wealth. And and so you know if the if you look if you have that sort of discipline and um, and the best return on capital. Um, at the present time is to pay tax on it and invest it outside, then that's the best return on capital. That's that's the decision that should be made. So really in the end, that's the sort of discipline that I think that people should be should be thinking about making. And, you know, I think that another thing that's really important to remember is that um, a lot of businesses don't actually fall over on the decisions they make when times are tough. They fall over on the decisions that they make when times are good. Hmm. Because often what I see in, in, in businesses and particularly in farming businesses is that we have a run of two or three good years and people start thinking that, okay, well, you know, I've got all this free, free cash flow. I don't want to pay tax. So they start going out and leasing a heap of plant or whatever. And the next thing they've got this, this significant recurrent debt that piles up that's through lease payments and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden what comes along drought or, or, um, or um, a run of uh, years with poor prices and, you know, the income from the business goes right down, but the debt's still there. The, 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 re- the requirement to pay those leases is there every year. 
And so, you know, it's the decisions that are made in the, in the good times that often cause the business to go bad in the bad times, not the decisions made in the bad times. Mm. No, very valuable. Um, that's great, Greg. So just wanted to summarise today's podcast, um, really looking at putting in place a capital allocation plan. I thought that was so useful, Greg, what you shared there and, and, and mapping that out over however many years based on where you're at. I mean, the longer the better just to see what, what you need to spend and, and how much you need to allocate to investments to, to work out how much um, you could end up with and, and, and it'll help you set goals and be very motivating for you. Um, obviously, getting it out of your head on the paper. Um, pay yourself that salary, that $115,000, the, the, the benchmark, if you like, to pay an owner of a farm and, and put that in there before profitability um, and, and obviously look to return that 30%, minimum 30% net profit figure. And as Greg was saying, um, um, beware the return on asset figure as well. Um, the av- a lot of average farmers being at that 1% one, one to 2%, but as Greg was pointing out, what, yeah, it, it, four to seven percent—it sounds to me quite quite amazing. Or six to seven percent return on assets, Greg, is such a healthy milestone. And um, obviously, based, everyone's different based on the value of farms. But once you put um, capital appreciation or, or land appreciation on top of that, then then you're pushing those 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 amazing returns. And and last but not least, um, well, two, two last things. Sorry, second last is, is learning to maximize that profitability, like looking at it making decisions from it, which is really getting that benchmarking done, Greg, so you can actually analyse how your business is performing so you're not actually owning a dud. And if you if you are owning a dud, the two things are how can I undud this by improving the profitability and getting hitting those KPIs or making that strong, harsh decision that, wow, I, you know, I, this business is not viable, which, by the way, can often be one of the best decisions you make, which just means you've got to work out a plan to exit to go and find a viable business. Um, uh, and last but not least, understand the power of compounding. Learn to invest a, a significant difference over, over a long period of time, um, the eighth wonder of the world. So, Greg, thank you so much. Um, do you have any concluding comments you'd like to share on this podcast? No, I don't, I don't other than to say, that, look, farming's a challenging game. You know, a lot of things that we deal with are out of our control. But what I do know is that, and, and this is based on my own experience, but also on the ABARE uh, farm survey data now over over the last 20 years is that in every district of Australia and in every uh, scale, every size enterprise, um, there are um, 20% of farmers who are doing you know, have done extremely well over that period of time, averaged 5.9% return on assets, where the average has been 1.4. So, so basically, what that means is that you know, for all of you listening, um, you could point to somebody in your area, in your district. That's uh, that's achieving a great result, and um, and you know, and if they are doing it in pretty much the same area and pretty much mm. the same uh, markets and all the rest of it, then you know, then then I think the for me the, the the thing I'd be asking myself is, well, if they can do it, why can't I? Oh, absolutely. Um, and thank you, Greg. That was fantastic. Uh, all the best, everyone, and we'll see you on a future podcast. Bye for now. Bye bye.